Welcome back, adventurers, to the Roll for Equality podcast. I'm your host, Chris Guthrie, and this week we are peering into the latest D&D supplement, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. So, crack open your supplements and get ready as we roll for equality. It's great to be back this week talking about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I know the supplement came out a few months ago, but I only recently got my hands on a copy. (laughs) Borrowed my housemate's copy while she was at work. (laughs) I was pretty excited to see the supplement, considering it was named after one of D&D's greatest archmages and a woman to boot. In this episode, I'm going to be breaking down some of my favorite things from Tasha's from my point of view as a player and as a DM. But first, we have a listener message from Gabby in Costa Rica. from Costa Rica. So I created a PC obsessed with Tasha's as an icon of power. My character name is Natalie, but she decided to call herself Natasha. Nobody knows this. She's a human wizard training in the School of Divination. The obsession with Tasha started when she learned the spell Tasha's Hideous Laughter, and therefore the obsessions to know more about Tasha's continues to grow day by day as she, Natalie, becomes more powerful. My character's arcane focus is a tattoo of a crow's foot on her left hand, like the one on Tasha's face. Hola, soy Gaby de Costa Rica. Yo quise crear un personaje que estuviera obsesionado con Tasha como un ícono de poder. Mi personaje, el nombre real es Natalie, pero ella decidió llamarse Natasha. Nadie sabe esto. Ella es una humana wizard entrenada en la escuela de adivinación y está obsesionada con Tasha desde que aprendió el hechizo Tasha's Hideous Laughter. Y de ahí la obsesión ha ido creciendo cada vez más y también Natalie se vuelve más poderosa. Mi personaje tiene un Arcane Focus que es un tatuaje de una pata de gallo en su mano izquierda igual al que tiene Tasha en la cara. big points of interest in Tasha's for a lot of people were the amount of subclasses added to more traditional class options. For the last few years, I've been kind of bored with things that I find in the PHB, so I've been using a lot of homebrew content for classes that I find online. And that's been great, but I was excited when I saw how many options they were adding to the official D&D canon. Now, I know a lot of people who salivate over various magic user classes, including my players, But to be honest, I've never really been one of them. I'm much more of a give me a sharp pointy thing to kill the evil thing trying to kill my friends type of girl. So I gravitate toward barbarians, fighters, and the like. The only caster I can play comfortably is a ranger or an arcane rogue. But we're going to get into that later when we talk to Volanth about her character later in the show. For now, 
I'm going to talk about one of the subclasses that got me excited, not only about playing, but also about writing. One of my favorite classes to play is the Barbarian, probably because some of the first fantasy movies I saw as a kid were Conan the Barbarian and Beastmaster. Both of those featured buff-as-hell, shirtless dudes wielding big-ass sexy swords that cut through their enemies like a hot knife on butter. Oh, I should have known I was gay as hell when I drooled over the swords and didn't give two fucks about the dudes bulging out of their fur underwear armor. But what I do love is the idea of the soulful barbarian with strong emotional intelligence and a highly evolved sense of honor that only those close to them know and understand. For this reason, I love the new primal path called Path of the Beast. This primal path is centered around the feral fuel that fires the rage of the barbarian. The barbarian who follows this path is actually the host of some kind of bestial strength, and you can decide what form that takes. It could be the soul of an ancient animal or animal deity. It could be the blood of lycanthropic ancestors that ignites your bloodlust. While Tasha's gives you options, you are also encouraged to customize the origin of your path on your own. What I adore about this is the room it leaves for you for writing an epic backstory for your character. I love writing character backstories because I get to craft their personality and discover their personal motivations, which helps me make choices appropriate to their personal nature in game. I love this chance for customizing my Path of the Beast Barbarian because it exercises my creativity in figuring out just what this beast entity is in my PC's life and how that could play out in game. No matter what you choose, the features of this path help with figuring this out because each path feature produces a physical manifestation of the beast roaring inside of your barbarian. For example, the first path feature called Form of the Beast has your hands or face morph into claws or a bestial muzzle that you can do damage with. You can even grow a tail with this one that does 1d8 damage or adds to your AC. At 6th level, you get Bestial Soul, which turns the natural weapons you form with your body in form of the beast into magical weapons. You also physically change to adapt to your surroundings. Because all of these features provide your barbarian with a physical manifestation of their beast nature, you can develop the personality and motivation of your PC as you make your way through your DM's world. With so many ways to interpret your character's past and customize their tortured soul, the story that forms of their experiences in-game is sure to be epic as hell for everyone at the table. Now for a quick look at patrons. Now I had never heard of this before and I was really eager to check it out. When I started reading more about it, those DM wheels in my head started turning with all kinds of possibilities, which usually means that something is a damn good idea. So what are patrons? A patron is really just the leader of a group that your adventuring party belongs to. Membership in this group comes with certain perks, and those perks are unique to what kind of patron you want to work with. Tasha's gives us a list of eight possible patron groups, such as guild, criminal syndicate, etc. Various types within the group 
and a list of their individual group perks. For example, if you want to be part of a criminal syndicate, you could work for a magical arms dealer and have access to his contraband, get specialized assignments, have a network of safe houses, etc., etc. All of this adds so many layers of nuance to an adventure, and it makes players more emotionally engaged in the story. As a player, one of the perks I love that is in place, no matter what guild or group you belong to, is this special mechanic for helping another PC in your party. If your character could see or hear that PC, then your character can give your fellow adventurer advantage on any role they have to make, be it saving throw, attack, or a skill check. You can only do this once per long rest, but what I like is the flexibility that this simple mechanic gives to a story. You could save a player you otherwise wouldn't be able to save, or make a check that leads to a game-changing discovery, thereby altering the way the campaign turns out. I love anything that adds another element of randomness that could turn the story completely on its head. As a DM, patrons and their groups provide an incredible number of creative possibilities for my campaigns. I often start my campaign planning by sitting at a table with an open notebook and an evil bitch troll of a blank page gawking at me and mocking my creative ineptitude. Patrons help me to form the backbone of an adventure, something I have going on in the background of the narrative and can pull out whenever I get stuck or I need to improvise. Or you can have a patron give your group an assignment, then distract your players with lots of other side adventures so they either forget or disregard the assignment by their patron, which leads to the patron to seek retribution. How your players react to all of these conflicts is going to make some amazing stories. And I love sitting back in my DM's chair to watch the chaos unfold with a churlish smile on my face. I will most certainly be using patrons in my current and future campaigns. There's just so much that you can do with them. And it also really helps that you don't have to start every adventure in a tavern. And now for one of my favorite things that I saw in Tasha's, tattoos. As the proud owner of some custom ink in real life, I was super excited to see what Wizards of the Coast was going to do with these magic items. Tasha's features 10 magical tattoos to customize your character with, and they have some pretty cool and unique functions. One of the things to consider is the amount of coverage for your PC's tattoo. Coverage is rated from common to legendary, with common covering a small part of the body, like a hand, foot, or a part of the limb, while legendary covers two entire limbs and the whole torso. There are five total rarity levels for coverage, the idea being that the rarer the tattoo, the more magic it has, so the larger the coverage must be. For example, the absorbing tattoo is considered very rare and will have to cover a greater amount of your PC's body surface, whereas the Eldritch Claw tattoo is an uncommon item and will require much less body coverage. These tattoos have some pretty damn cool features, like the absorbing tattoo lets you choose a particular kind of damage to be immune to and absorb. This allows you to regain half the hit points of damage you would have taken. All these tattoos have a shelf life of one action per day, and they all recharge by the next dawn. I like that because it doesn't require a long rest. You just have to make it through the night. <laughs> 
Now, these have inspired me to consider and create some homebrew tattoos for a future campaign. But for now, I can't wait to set up a tattoo parlor in the middle of my world that features these from Tasha's. Now, when we come back, we have a few more things to look at from Tasha's. But first, we have a listener message from Stephanie of The Arcanery, one of my favorite third-party D&D content creators. Stephanie Stover, and I'm from the Arcanery. I'm just going to give a, a bit of a review um, and my experience with Tasha's Cauldron, the new D&D book, uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, that came out last year. Um, I personally, I really like this book. Um, I So my experience with this has been, I have a, uh, a female human sorcerer with a draconic bloodline in one of my campaigns. Um, and I absolutely love the made of magic options in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Um, the reason is, well, two, two reasons. Um, I find that there's not very many useful made of magic options for sorcerers. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't found many that I like. There's one, um, one made of option that I really like in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, uh, called trans. Well, there's actually both of them. I really like um, transmuted spell. I really like that because one of my issues with my sorcerer has been I created her to have a um, uh, a cold background, but when I look at the spells, all of the really good spells that do a lot of damage are fire. So with this transmuted spell, um, it allows you to cast a spell that deals a type of damage. Um, deals a type of damage from the following list, you spend a sorcery point and you can change your damage type. Um, so I can take advantage of those fire spells and by switching them to cold damage and I can keep my play my uh, my player consistent. Um, so I really like that. The other thing I really like that I found really useful in Tasha's Cauldron um, for the sorcerer options is the seeking spell. Uh, if you make an attack roll for a spell and miss, you can spend two sorcery points to re-roll the d20. Um, and you mustn't use, it says you must use the new roll. I really like that because I miss a lot. <laughs> and um, that's, I just find that very helpful. Um, so I really like the meta magic options in the, uh, in the new book. Um, Sorcerer origins are really cool. There's, uh, you know, some, some new origins there that we can choose from. Um, and overall, yeah, I just, I love the new options that, uh, that we have in character building. I love character building. Uh, I love creating backstories. Um, and it's just great to have some new options there, um, to be able to do what we like. are some of the DM tools that made me sigh with relief because, oh my god, these are fucking helpful. The first one is parlaying with monsters. I am a DM who lives for RP. 
I love doing voices, sound effects, acting, the whole nine. But one of the areas I struggle with at times is monsters, particularly establishing their motivation outside, kill the tiny pink things with shiny sharp sticks. I can do their voices and all that, but making them more well-rounded NPCs is a tough one at times, especially at those times when I am flying by the seat of my pants and winging the hell out of an encounter. The charts at the back of Tasha's divide monsters by their type, aberrations, beasts, celestials, elementals, what have you. And they give you four possible desires and means of monster appeasement. These can be tangible items your party has, like a gem costing 50 GP for an elemental, or something more abstract, like trading a fiend your soul for safe passage through the flame gates of Nurimborzul, so you can take eternal and holy revenge on your most hated enemy. I have no idea what that location is, I just made it up. It could even be ego-driven, where a dwarven PC must admit to a giant that the stonecraft of the giants is superior to that of dwarven stonecraft. Oh, the humanity. That is something I would love to see my players RP. Then there are the new environments and their hazards that include supernatural regions, haunted locations, and areas of the world that are infested with some disgusting creatures. This one made my skin crawl because I am really arachnophobic. I'm so arachnophobic that when I play Skyrim, I have to shove the controls in Volant's hands and make her kill the creepy crawlies for me. And that is the true story of how Volant became a video gamer. <laughs> but I digress. Main point, lots of hazards for various regions that we didn't have before for DMs to try and kill their PCs with. Fun! And lastly, we have puzzles. My players love them and I hate creating them. I always want to include puzzles in my games, but it can be daunting because I don't really know how to create them. Tasha's helps out the DM by establishing difficulty, puzzle features, the solution, hint checks, and of course, customization options. What I really liked were the hint checks because I don't want to give too much away, but I also don't want my players to get frustrated and abandon this puzzle that I spent time working on. Hint checks not only give the players a chance, but they also let them use skills they don't get to use in the game that much, like arcana, history, insight, etc., etc. I also like this because it adds yet another layer of nuance by valuing certain skills that can be overlooked in favor of combat skills. And that just adds to the narrative for me as a DM. There were a few other DM tools that I really enjoyed, but these were just my personal tops. One of the things that Tasha's tries to do is put some focus on the leadership duties of the DM, not only in-game, but out of game. In a few pages, Tasha's touches on a few things that need to happen in Session Zero and pays particular attention to setting up a social contract between players about expectations and issues of consent on possible sensitive subjects. First off, I'm glad they address it because this is an issue that's been making the rounds in the last few years with some mixed feelings. If you've listened to my previous episodes on consent and the role of the DM, you already know my feelings on the matter and that I'm all for creating a social contract. 
The supplement mentioned soft and hard limits. Soft limits are considered situations and things that have a strong possibility to cause a negative reaction from a player, so they are best to be reconsidered. Hard limits are those that should never be crossed. The writers of Tasha's gave several examples of ways to discuss openly and respectfully player limits, and I could tell that they either listened to player complaints or they read the Consent and Gaming supplement from Monty Cook Games, which I highly recommend for an extensive list of methods for these situations. The writers of Tasha's mention in-game and out-of-game issues, and some of the out-of-game ones I found interesting because I didn't think to include them. Things that we've all experienced, like dice sharing, dice throwing, rules lawyering, cell phones, and the like. They didn't create an exhaustive list, and I think more examples could be added to it, because I think sometimes a person doesn't realize that something is a problem behavior. Seeing it in print can be a wake-up call. While I think this is a good start, I don't think it's said enough. I would like to have seen a few more methods the DM could implement when the social contract is broken, though I was happy to see that the writer said it was more than okay to throw out a player who continues to be a limit-pushing douche. I also think the concept of aftercare should have been addressed, as well as methods for DMs to approach players outside the game who had a rough time during the game session. It doesn't occur to all of us that aftercare is a bonding action that reinforces trust between player and DM. As a DM who has made plenty of mistakes myself, I would benefit from learning some psychological techniques for taking care of my players when problems arise. Whether we like it or not, realize it or not, what have you, D&D and other role-playing games are incredibly intimate. We bear so much of what is deep within us through our characters and their stories, and that leaves us open to being hurt by dick moves from either players or DM. So I appreciate that this topic was brought up in Tasha's, but I'd like to see a little more from Wizards of the Coast when it comes to this topic. Up next, we have an interview with the lovely and elusive Valon. Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to Party Advantage, a D&D play podcast. Join the Rampack as they travel across the lands and kingdoms of Arius, finding adventure and shenanigans. We're going to protect you, okay? Are you scared of witches? Yeah. We're the ones that ate my weasel. Who is going to be leading the expedition? I'm tiny, and I lost my ferret last episode, so. I'm baby. I, I look at the giant, I'm like, what are you doing? Don't do that. I'm more afraid of her than you. I hate you. I wanted to swim out and climb it and attacking it. And you're like, yo, you're dumb stupid dumb. I know our healer's in the air 200 feet. Tune in every other Wednesday on your podcast platform of choice. Will these adventurers find the advantage on their next encounter? Only one way to find out. See you then. pretty good look at some of the highlights of Tasha's Cauldron. Now, we have a guest with us to discuss some of these highlights in actual play. 
Volanth is back! Yeah! Woo! Welcome back, Volanth. I'm so happy you're on the show again. Me too! Oh my god! Girl! Here's some, here's some more wine. Here, Thank drink. you. There you go. Drink that. <laughs> Day drinking for confidence. Woo! <laughs> oh my god. I will drink to that. Give me that bottle. Thank you. <laughs> now you've constructed a brand new character using Tasha's uh, for my campaign with our housemates. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Sure. So my character's name is Olby. Aww. I know, I love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Olby is a soft-shell turtle. And he is a ranger with the uh, Swarm Keeper subclass. That's such a cool subclass, I love it. I know, it's so cool. Um, so, do you want me to tell you, like... Like, uh, tell us how he looks, because like, I'm really curious. How we have a ranger turtle. So how does he look to you? Um, okay. What are his relationships to our housemates' characters? Sorry, I'm trying to find things. Trying to find things is hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Olby is, well, he's 253 years old. Ooh. And he's six feet tall and 758 pounds. Oh my god, and he's a ranger? And he's a ranger. <laughs> But he's just adorable. <laughs> um, he has no hair and brown eyes and blue-green skin. And he's a soft-shell turtle, so he doesn't have, like, the retreat-into-shell thing oh. that you get with the other kinds. But it fit better with his character for me. Plus, he can swim. He has a higher swimming speed than the other ones because of his soft shell. What's his swimming speed? 40, I believe. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, 40 feet. And... Yeah, so he has blue-green skin, but it almost seems to, like, be a little bit gray at the top of his head because he's <laughs> getting kind of old. <laughs> and he has very kind brown eyes. He doesn't wear any clothes except for he wears a pair of big tortoise shell glasses. Oh my god, I love it. Which I don't know if that's unethical for a turtle to be wearing <laughs> tortoise shell glasses. Well, he's a ranger. He would have had to, you know, scrounge he's around the forest. He, he found it. Yeah. He found the materials. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's it's not unethical. Maybe it was like a rival. A, a rival. Oh, I've been drinking. Rival tribe. No, he wouldn't. No. Okay. Your character. You do what you want. Um, but then he also wears a pouch around his waist to carry bottles and ingredients because his background is... Um, the town apothecary background that I found on D&D Wiki. Ooh. And so he is, like, his father was an apothecary and his father's father and his father's father. So it's a long line of who've all had this little shop in this little forest town. And Olvi was super content with his life there with his husband. Oh. And But he always kind of wanted, you know to see the world and have some adventures. And so uh, he decided to go out and do it. His husband saw that he was getting restless and was like, you need to just go, you know, ex have some adventures. I'll be here, but I, I can see that you really 
need to do this. So you need to go have some adventures. Well, so that makes me happy that your character has a very supportive partner. Yeah. That's just so positive. I love that. I know. <laughs> and I just really want to meet his husband now. I just like, want to meet them. Is his husband also a turtle, or is he some other race? His husband is also a turtle. Okay. They've been friends since they were little baby turtles. Oh my god, I want to know more! That's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Oh. oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you about his swarm, because <gasps> he's a swarm keeper, Ooh. and so he has a little swarm of, what are they, intangible nature spirits, and they can have any appearance that you want them to, and they can even, like, change appearance, like, depending on your mood and what you're doing, so, like, if you're just walking around, maybe they're one thing, but then in battle, they might turn into something else, Ooh. or however you want to do it, so, uh, Albie's swarm is... Little sea turtles, little baby sea turtles. Oh my god, they're really? swarming around. Ah! <laughs> that is so fucking cute. I love him. <laughs> I'm really glad that you're that you made a character that you really, really adore and admire and love, and and is also just such a positive character. But I have to say, I found your choice to build this character really interesting because. I know that you're really attached to the Elven Druid that you've been playing for almost four years now. And when you cracked up Atasha's to build a new character, I totally saw you flip to the Druid class. But you ended up making a Ranger. I'd like to ask why you went with the Ranger class. Uh, I love the Druid class. And I feel like I will always have a fondness for the druid class, especially because it was the first character that I ever made was a druid. Yeah. So it's like, it has a special place in my heart. Um, but I mean, I have tried out some other characters after that first character, the elven druid Volanth. Like I've played a barbarian and a warlock and I don't remember. There were short characters, like, um, like one-off characters. Okay. And I... I liked them, but I never really enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed playing the druid, just because the druid has so many things you can do, like so many options, so much variety in what you can do. And I'm sure the other ones do too, but I just never found it personally. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll go ahead. Like there's a new, there are all these new subclasses. This is my time. I'm going to make another druid. <laughs> and I always like intended for it to be different than my original druid, you know, so I wanted to try out a different kind of druid. So I was thinking about doing the, uh, what is it, Circle of Spores? Oh, yeah. And yeah. it was still going to be a turtle, but it was going to be Circle of Spores. And the Circle of Stars one was really cool, too. But I thought that would be a little too similar to the druid I had played before. Yeah. It's too bad that this wasn't out when you made that first character. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty much set on Circle of Spores, but then I started flipping through just to take a look at what else Tasha's had in there, and I saw the Swarm Keeper, and it just has so many cool features, and I just loved the idea of Oldie having a little swarm of sea turtles around him, and <laughs> it just, it fit with his character a lot better, plus it still had the nature element that I love from the Druid class. So, yeah. Oh, you're definitely a nature girl. So you mentioned the features that you really, really like with the Swarm Keeper. What feat or feature really stood out to you about the Swarm Keeper subclass? Um, I mean, it was just the swarm. <laughs> There's just so much that you can do with it, and it's so, um, 
personalizable. What's the word I'm trying customizable. to say? Customizable. Customizable. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so customizable for your character and not just your character, but what situation you're in and everything. Mm. So I thought it would be a really fun thing to be able to play with um, and saw a lot of opportunities for um, having fun with it in game in a like in a pretty easy way like a pretty easy thing to pull out and just switch up and have fun with no matter what scenario you're in but it has like the option to like you can attack with your swarm you have the mage hand cantrip Ooh, that's um, a good one to have in your back pocket yeah but it takes the form of your nature spirit oh. so my mage hand is a little sea turtle oh my god <laughs> um you can at seventh level you can use your uh, swarm to help you fly. Oh, that's cool. I did not know you could do that. Yeah. At 11th level... Oh, the damage increases. Um, at 15th level, then you can discorporate into your swarm and avoid taking damage or give yourself resistance to the damage by using your reaction. So I bet you're looking forward to that, do you? <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> Um, but it just has customization that's available and... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, I guess that kind of goes into my next question, is um, what feature of the Swarm Keeper are you really excited about using in uh, our campaign? Um... <laughs> the, the, the Swarm! swarm! <laughs> <laughs> you stupid bitch, it's the Swarm! I told you the sixth I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right. Okay. So the swarm. You're well, like... I'm just. I'm also excited to like see how all these character develops as we go along and how that changes his swarm. Like oh. whether it's the, the swarm's appearance or um, how the swarm reacts or like interacts with him. Okay. Because that can change. Yeah. You right? have, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that. You're right. There's a lot of customization that you can do based on how your character develops or... Yeah, that's that's really, really cool. Because I'm very much RP lover in D&D. Like, I'm very much focused on the character and the RP. And I like the combat, but it's definitely not my favorite part of the game. So this class gives a lot of room to mess with your character and um, flesh it out. Ooh. Well, that actually brings me to my next question. I know that you are a very talented writer. Oh. You are. <laughs> <laughs> now, does the Swarm Keeper subclass play any role in Olby's backstory for you? Um, it does. Well, I mean, I have a backstory of how he got his swarm. Oh, okay. If that is what yeah. you would like to know. Absolutely. So I told you that he was uh, the town apothecary in his little forest town, and um, he had a little garden growing herbs and then foraging for the rest of his materials. So he was out in the woods searching for ingredients, and he was, you know, rummaging around, and he almost touched an extremely poisonous plant. Ooh. And his, the nature spirits stopped him from touching the plants. And it turned out that he had been foraging in kind of their 
part of the woods, like their home. So they had kind of gotten attached to him because they would always watch him come and see how gentle he was with everything and how kind he was and never disturb anything that wasn't what he needed to use. And so they saved him from this particularly poisonous plant. And then after that, uh, every time that he came to forage, they would just you know, come and greet him and wander around with him. And uh, eventually they became such good friends that they just decided to stay with him, which was <laughs> um, not something that his husband loved at first. But <laughs> he has gotten used to the idea now. I imagine that was a bit of a damper on their sex life. I imagine it was. <laughs> kind of, you know, it's like the, okay, we're going to put you in here and close the door. <laughs> he didn't need to do that. I'm sure he could just tell them to go, you know, visit the woods. Oh my God. Daddies need some alone time. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I have to put on here. There's mild sexual content in this episode. <laughs> Well, I really love that backstory, and it just really keeps with Olby and like what I know of Olby because we've only played him one time mm-hmm. in our campaign, and he seems like this super gentle old soul because I know our housemates, their characters are considerably younger. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed hearing that part of his backstory that I think is really, really super sweet. And he builds such a positive character. Yeah, yeah, it's so different from the law. Oh my god, <laughs> Which yeah. is what I wanted. I wanted to, you know, do something on the total opposite end of the spectrum from her. That makes perfect sense to me. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts. You know, Olby is an incredibly adorable character, and I, I can't wait to, to play again so I can hear you roleplay and do the voice. Would you actually mind doing a little bit of Olby's voice for us? I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I give you more wine. Okay, she's taking a swig. All right. I'm old bee. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, old bee. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your podcast. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That That is what I needed for today. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> Good to be here. And that concludes our look at Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Overall, I think it's a great supplement with a lot of room for building your own customizations on things that they lay the foundation for. I would have liked to have seen more stuff in it, like maybe some more DM tools for dealing with problem players and some detailed techniques, but overall, I was really happy with it, and I would recommend it to players and DMs alike. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our look at Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. See you in two weeks for our next History Check episode, where we are traveling to the southern seas of China to learn about a prostitute turned pirate queen and how to make her part of your D&D game. Don't forget to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter for more news and announcements about the show. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, send us a buck or two over on Ko-fi or become a patron over on our Patreon page. All links are down in the show notes. Until next we meet, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.